0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yeah, big day.
1: Yeah, it is a big day. <laughs> Very exciting. Like, uh, every every guest episode is a is a big day for us.
0: But well, I mean, it's usually me that says big day. So listeners, if I ever say if I ever don't say it, just kind of assume that that reflects on our guest. <laughs> so that's 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 something that listeners can do at home. It's it, it
1: actively engages them. All right. Well, so, so t- tell the listener who we have here today. Oh my gosh, David!
0: It's very exciting. Uh, Sounds like it. Uh, this okay? We try to avoid being really like kiss ass about uh, the <laughs> guests and stuff, but I will say that uh, you know, ever since I was ever since I was a young person, a young guy, and David, I assume kind of similar situation with you. One of my favorite shows of all time was Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Mine too. Yeah. And uh, and we have uh, one of the. One of the mads here today. Uh he has since uh started something called Cinematic Titanic, right? And um, he uh, so he's here with us today. Uh Frank Conniff, everybody.
2: Hey. How <laughs> How's <doing>? it going? <laughs> wow, what an intro, hope I can live up to that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think you I think you already have. Oh, it's that kind you. of laconic
2: delivery oh, that people have you. come to expect. Mm i'm uh, is that harry laconic jr or (laughs) see there'll be a lot of really bad puns coming up folks that's fine Brace yourself we don't get enough
0: puns and david (laughs) i know you're a fan of puns i definitely am yeah all right so yeah by all means (laughs) do what you got what you got to do so um all right so frank uh you know i'm sure that you've you know various uh panels and stuff i'm sure you've Mm -hmm. answered these questions before but uh You'll have to answer them again. Well, you don't have to. Well, you can give. You can make stuff. I up. give
2: uh, different fictional answers every time. Okay, so. that's fine. <laughs>
0: that sounds fine. Um, but uh, so, how did you uh, tell us a little about yourself? How'd you get started? Uh, you know, how did you get to be involved in uh, mystery science theater? Well, um,
2: mystery science theater um, was just a case of pure luck on my mm-hmm. part of being involved with it. I I happened to be. Uh, living in Minneapolis in the late 1980s doing stand-up comedy there and um, I was from New York City originally and I had moved to Minneapolis and um, you know there was this great stand-up comedy scene there and I made a lot of friends and had a lot of fun um, performing and um, and among the friends I made there were um, Trace Ballou, uh, Joel Hodgson who had been in Los Angeles and already had been kind of a star and then had come back to Minneapolis uh, to kind of re, uh, you know, kind of do his career in a different way. And um, and Mike Nelson was just starting out as a comic back then. And uh, I met him and, um, and uh, Josh Weinstein as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I just knew all these... Uh, really funny comedians, Uh, also Liz Winston, who went on to create The Daily Show, was a comedian back there who was was a big supporter of mine, a big friend of mine. And uh, um, so it was just a very lucky circumstance to just be there at that time. Um, Even without Mystery Science Theater, it would have been a lucky circumstance because it was just a great thing to be a part of. But, um, uh, you know, around that time, um, Joel and Trace and Josh... Started doing mystery science theater on a local uh, K uh, KTLA or KM. I might be getting the name of the station wrong. Um, I'm sure every fan out there can correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But uh, I'm getting older, so I'm losing some of my memory. But uh, so uh, they were doing it on this local station, and I, you know, I wasn't a part of it then. I was just kind of knew them, and I knew they were doing it, and. then a year later, the show got picked up by the Comedy Channel, which eventually became Comedy Central, mm-hmm. and so it went national. And then the year after that, um, Josh, who was the original Mad Scientist assistant and one of the writers on the show, he left the show, and um, and there was an opening there. And then I just got a call one day from Mike Nelson called me up and said, uh, uh, Frank, uh, there's we got picked up by comedy central for 13 episodes and there's an opening uh for a writer and you know we and they all knew me and they they all thought I was funny fortunately and they all knew that I was a film buff and um that I was kind of a really good fit for the kind of comedy they were doing mm-hmm. and so they just asked me to to come on board and I did you know it was like in 19 in spring of 1990 um mm-hmm and um, and that's how it happened. It was all none of it was calculated on my part. I didn't pursue that to happen for me i you know no I didn't move to Minneapolis to get on a national television show. you know yeah. that wasn't mm-hmm. like my plan um so it just uh it was just luck you know and uh and 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 that's how that happened
0: okay um and then as far as uh you know it's 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 strange i'm when there's something that I really like, mm-hmm. uh, I will I will watch a lot. Of, like if it's a television show, for example, I will watch a lot of episodes, if not all the episodes. And I'll be like, "Oh man, this is great!" And I'll watch it. I'll have my friends over. I'll, if mm-hmm. I have copies, I'll lend it to my right, friends. Right. But I won't look into it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I really, as far as how a, an episode of Mystery Science Theater is far, like how it came together, mm-hmm. um, I really don't. I personally don't know much about it, like how uh you know the the comments were written and and that sort of thing um how did how did an episode get um
2: well we had i think it was like a nine day uh production schedule for each episode which for tv is actually kind of a leisurely schedule Mm -hmm. i i think that's how they set it up at best brains um which was the company that made mystery science theater and um so, uh, we would spend, uh, you know, we'd have a movie that we were going to do, and, and we'd spend a whole day, one day, going, you know, watching the movie, yelling out comments, whatever came into our head. Someone would be there to type, to type the comments in. At first, we all took turns being the typist, and then when we could afford it, we hired a typist. Um, and, uh, Um, And and so we'd do that for a whole day. And then in the course of the day, maybe we'd get some ideas for sketches to do and stuff, Mm -hmm. and we'd, like, write those down on a board. And then the second day, we'd um, write the sketches. Uh, We'd brainstorm in the morning. Oh, should we do this? Should we do that? And then, you know, by lunchtime, there'd be, like, five, I forget, I think it was four or five sketches that we always did every show. Mm This will be the... That scientist segment, this will be the invention exchange, this will be this sketch that's based on the movie, or this sketch, or maybe we just come up with a goofy thread to run through the whole show. Um, Like one day Joel came in and said, hey, let's just do every sketch about waffles, and and we did that, you know, (laughs) and so – and so that would be the second day. Then the third day, we'd go back to the movie again and do the same thing that we did the first day, just yell out every comment that came into our heads, and every comment would get written down. Uh, so it was like a second pass at the movie. And then on the, the day after that, um, you know, uh, Joel and Trace uh, – And Kevin would kind of, they were kind of involved in other aspects of the show, other production aspects, designing things, um, getting that stuff ready. So they'd kind of go off and do that stuff. And then it was usually um, Mike or myself and then also uh, Paul Chapman or uh, Paul Chaplin or uh, Mary Jo Peel. Um, We would take segments of what was all the comments that were yelled out, and we'd go we do line assign and we go through the Mm. script and say because every line would have maybe five six different potential every moment in the movie would have five or six potential lines we could use and then we kind of choose that and then say oh that could be a crow line that could be a servo line that's a joel line that's a mike line you know and uh and so we'd kind of just boil it down into a workable script um and then eventually we'd have a day where we rehearse the movie in the morning I think now here where my memory gets a little fuzzy but I think we'd rehearse the movie in the morning and then uh f- tape it in the afternoon mm. and then there'd be edits afterwards you know if someone screwed up a line they'd re they record it again, in you know individual lines, and then um, and then we had a day where we just filmed the sketches, you know. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, um, it was really a very uh, manageable kind of um, uh, not not as intense, you know. It had, it had kind of a midwestern kind of relaxed atmosphere to mm-hmm. it. Not not relaxed in the sense; I mean, everybody worked hard, but. Um, you know, all the deadlines and everything were very reasonable. Whereas I know that other T V shows, sitcoms, for instance, you know, will will have a table reading on Monday and then rewrite everything and then they've gotta have a they've gotta tape it by that Friday, you know. We had kind of not as intense a schedule as that. So when you were when you were sitting there uh picking
1: like assigning lines uh-huh. you're talking about, um how much was it in your mind to 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 be were you just trying to assign them sort of Uh, in an egalitarian sense make sure everybody got the same or were you really trying to fit the voice of the
2: it was it was kind of um a combination in the sense that you really if you really heard a character in your head saying a line you would give that you know some lines were more crow lines Mm -hmm. some lines were more servo lines uh and um but it you know it kind of just naturally came out that you know everyone got an equal amount of mm-hmm. lines and, and 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 I don't think um you know I think there was a subconscious there must have been something subconscious about that process because there was never an instance where you know oh there's six moments in the movie in a row that are perfect for Joel you know so mm-hmm. he'll just he'll just do the next three pages or whatever <laughs> and they'll just lay out it never for some it never worked out like that but it it it, it you know it it that just never came up it was just kind of you know within the process of making the show I think that there was such a kind of unified comedic voice that came out of the writing room that it just sort of worked out naturally that way
0: yeah it sounds like a I have a friend who recently was assigned to write an episode of CSI Miami Mm -hmm. and uh, and he was really excited about it Mm -hmm. but terrified I mean he just even though there was a staff of writers and everybody kind of wanted to wanted to help him out right uh, I was very everybody was being very uh, accommodating to him Uh, because they knew it was his first time and all that kind of thing there was still a huge amount of pressure on him because he was like oh this is the testing grounds and right right and it was just horrifying and so like I hear that and then I hear your experience which sounds like basically a bunch of people who all like each other and get along yeah and just uh, as you said working hard but still just just yeah, having fun.
2: Yeah, it was just yeah, uh, you know, I think that was very much um just the way it worked out. You know, I think if they'd wanted to, they could have said, well, we'll film every episode in a 6 in a 5-month period or whatever and just churn them out and then take the rest of the year off. But I think the decision was was made. The more sensible decision was was made. Well, let's just do do these over the course of the year and, and we and we, we had like a week off every six weeks which was great too mm. you know so it, it yeah it was it was a really fun thing you know I like I said I just felt very fortunate that I was that I fell into it you yeah. know um, and then since then so you, well you've got well, i also
1: got, got a couple of mst 3 k questions. Well, I, I want to know, uh, again, there's a lot of people who are big mst 3 k nerds, mm-hmm. like you said, who probably know the answers, but, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> bear with us. Uh, I don't think
2: I could win a quiz. I think I'd be beat by people. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to get, uh, you know, I wasn't going to ask <laughs> you about, like,
1: specific episode numbers. Uh, I'm just wondering, how how what was the, the movie selection process? How did you decide which movies? Uh, well, do?
2: that was, um, at the time, um, Mystery Science Theater was on Comedy Central, which... Um, was associated with this company called hbo downtown productions i believe and they were the ones who originally produced everything on the original comedy channel and and they and they would be the ones initially who would just go out and like acquire all these tapes for us to look at you know from different distribution companies sinister cinema i remember was one and and there were there were others and then we just get sent box loads of tapes and then um originally we'd all just look at them and uh kind of informally while we were eating lunch let's look at these movies and see if anyone is good but then it became kind of i was eventually made the official person oh. who who hmm. was my one of the days that i came in my job was to look through all of the tapes and find the films and then show them to everybody else. And uh, and then by consensus, you know, we decide which which movies we we do.
0: Have you ever? This is probably an, it is an obvious question, and maybe it's an easy answer. Have have did you guys ever get flack from somebody who is somehow associated with one of the movies that you made fun of, or did most people take it in kind of a? a...
2: I don't think we really ever got flack about. It. You know, I know okay. that we that there were people who who were in some of the movies we did, who saw them and were aware of them and and, and thought it was great. You know, okay. I know Kim Cattrall was one who who was in City Limits, I think, was the one she was in. And then at one time, some of the guys were out in L.A. and they ended up having dinner with her and then she became friends with Trace Ballou, you know. Hmm. So um, it was mostly stuff like that. Miles O'Keefe, I think called us and talked to Joel. He was in Cave Dwellers, I think, and uh, he was, like, really cool about it. And and Robbie Benson, who uh, um, was another one in one of our movies. So I remember we were pretty brutal towards, actually. He, you know, I met him out here in L.A., and, and Joel as well. We both worked with him on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and uh, he was really nice about it. He thought it was hilarious. You know, most actors who are in bad movies know that they're in bad <laughs> movies they yeah. don't have any illusion about that there's you know it's it's i don't know what the figure is but in the screen actors guild you know normally like 95% of the people in sag are out of work you know uh. people just are just excited to get jobs and then if they're talented they just give whatever job they have you know they give it their all and that's their job you know so not, very few of them i think have illusions about the movies right. being good you know they know that they're turds you know but
1: well we've talked a couple i mentioned a couple of times the the fans of the show and i, I think uh as as much as almost any other like comedy based show i can i can think of mst 3 k really has a a hardcore nerd type of following right because like, it, it, it appeals to, to comedy nerds to, to just like sci-fi nerds movie buffs uh-huh. or nerds like uh i'm not really sure what my my question is but I guess what what's it like having those kind of that kind of obsessive level of fans well out there? It, I
2: think originally it was very important to um building the success of the show the fact that we had such fanatic, we didn't have a huge fan base but uh-huh. the fan base that we had was very fanatical about it and then we um you know this was before the internet you know we would through our mailings or whatever we would try to encourage them to tell their friends about it we we had a thing in the credits which was unprecedented in show business which was a thing at the bottom of the credits that said keep circulating the tapes you know uh-huh. which um which on a normal business level would seem like a not you know like a crazy thing to do but for us it was like yeah because a lot of people didn't have comedy central back then we didn't have it in minneapolis for a long time you know and i remember when we finally got it in we had a party at trace's house to watch the show it was a big thrill for us to watch (laughs) our show on national television because we don't we'd never seen it before you know on, on on national tv so so that kind of nerd uh following for lack of a better word was um was very important to us you know and 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 it's and to this day it's it's it plays a big part because we're all finding um with our current projects and stuff that um uh that it seems that to us like there's a bigger fan base than ever for the show that more people are aware of it now than when it was on the air i mean that's I don't have scientific results about that, but yeah that's the way it seems to me more people recognize me from the show now than when I was on the show, you know so it's so that's kind of you know with. The internet and everything—it's just kind of kept the fan base has has continued to grow, which has been wonderful and amazing.
1: Well, your, your story about uh, you know you not even having Comedy Central reminds me of the, of the story of how I discovered uh, Mystery Science Theater Two Thousand, mm-hmm. which was I uh, I don't even know if because I didn't have cable at all, so I don't right. know if if I don't know if we had Comedy Central in St. Louis mm-hmm. when I was when I was ten. But we went on a on vacation, my family to Branson, Missouri, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> And, A, like, my parents were kind of cheapskates, mm-hmm. so um, the they never let the uh, air conditioning run too high. So we st- were staying at this condo, and we were allowed to crank the air conditioning as, long as, as high as we wanted. <laughs> so that, A, mm-hmm. that's that, that's the first piece of the puzzle of, like, this nerd paradise that this became. Right. <laughs> and then, so we're in this condo that we, that we rented, and they all wanted to go, like, to the pool, and I'm standard... You know, pale skin, 98 pound wuss kind of nerd And I was like, I'm just going to stay in In this air conditioning mm. and watch TV And they had this channel called Comedy Central And they were they were showing, I think, like a three hour block uh, uh, This is like 92 of mst 3K Right And uh, it was it, it was manna from heaven for me it <laughs> <was> Oh, <laughs> great, great I, I watched the thing went I'm back to St. Louis and told all my friends about it They'd
2: The thing I'm curious about is Who did you did end up you going to see in Branson? Did your parents <laughs> go to see? I don't Steve? think we went to any of the shows oh, I think okay. we just went
1: to uh, Silver Dollar City Oh,
0: yeah. oh all right uh, Shout out to any of my friends that work at Silver Dollar City. (laughs) And there are still a few. (laughs) But uh, so, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to some of the stuff that you're working on now. You've uh, specifically uh, Cinematic Titanic and uh, a show that you have running here in Los Angeles called Cartoon Dump. Right. Um, Right. You don't necessarily have to rush through this, but uh, what are they and how they start and uh, how can people uh,
2: be involved with them? Um, Well, Cinematic Titanic started um, about two years ago, I think, um, when um, uh, actually the the start of Cartoon Dump and Cinematic Titanic is kind of intertwined because um, uh, Cartoon Dump uh, was a show that uh, myself and a friend of mine, Jerry Beck, who's a very noted animation historian, um, he has this collection of really bad cartoons and he does a lecture series about them called the worst cartoons ever but he wanted to figure out something else to do with them and so i came up with this this idea for this uh fake uh kid show called cartoon dump that would show these really awful cartoons so we did a few podcasts of it and then we we started um we did it as a live show at the steve allen theater here in in hollywood and um and at the very first live show we did, uh, Joel and Trace both came to that show to see it, and it was the first time I had seen—I would seen Joel, I think, maybe a couple months before that. But I hadn't seen Trace in a long time, and uh, and 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 I hadn't really um, seen Joel nearly as much as as I wish I had. But they both came to that show, and then that night was kind of. We kind of reconnected, and um, and then around that time, um, uh, Rhino, um, who was still doing the Mystery Science Theater box sets, they wanted to do something um, that involved us filming like a new mad scientist sequence and a new um, a new segment of riffing, Hmm. and so we all got back together myself trace and uh joel got back together to do that and so we were all hanging out with each other again a lot and um and you know as old friends tend to do we talked a lot about you know the old days and mystery science theater and 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 also we like i was just telling you about we were very we had all really noticed this big uptick in interest in it like um we were, you know, we were meeting a lot of people. Joel was meeting a lot of people in, in the business, you know, just going to meetings at TV networks and movie studios of young executives who grew up on the show and people who... The show meant a lot to, and and we were just nostalgic about it, and we kind of wanted to start doing it again. And Joel actually tried to get back together with Jim Mallon, who was the ori- who was who owns the rights to Mystery Science Theater, and he wanted to do new episodes of Mystery Science Theater again that we'd release ourselves on DVD. And uh, Jim Mallon, for whatever reason, was not into doing that, and so then we said, well, we still want to riff on movies again, so. Joel came up with this idea for Cinematic Titanic and we, we, and then so Trace, myself and Joel and then Josh came on board and we called up Mary Jo who was living in Austin hmm. and said, uh, you know, why don't you come and be involved with it too? And we all pooled our resources. We started our own business, you know, and and started putting them out on DVDs. Uh, which they are available and uh, we we are going to be making a new DVD soon also mm-hmm. um, but uh, the what that what, what what it's evolved into is 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 a live show that we do and and that's become the thing that we've been really passionate about because doing the show live in front of a thousand people has just been one of the best you know best experiences of our lives it's just amazing and, and so we're st- Right now, we're in the process of booking more live shows, and we're going to put out more DVDs. And it's 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 just been this great experience, and also it's great having this product that we have control over, you know, creative control over.
0: Hmm. And uh, and so. What, uh how can somebody get a hold of some of the DVDs well uh,
2: cinematictitanic.com okay. um is is a place to go and you can order them um there i think we're in the midst of a sale at the moment hello <laughs> <laughs> uh so i think people can can get them on sale and we also sell t-shirts and mm-hmm. stuff like that and merchandise you know so
0: and then as far as is it is it like strictly like uh mystery science theater and that you make fun of just you know just bad movies or just uh, kind of whatever
2: well we um yeah it's it's we're still kind of in the same um, situation as mystery science theater in that and especially since it's our own business we can only afford to get oh yeah, yeah. really bad movies <laughs> which is all the, the only kind of movies we want anyway but yeah. um but we're yeah it's we're very kind of um we do the same kind of movies that we used to do on Mystery Science Theater, kind of from the same era, um, you know, uh, fifty, 60 70s, sci-fi, horror, vampire, um, monster movies. Is, is Mitchell as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well actually, uh, yeah, uh, one of the movies we've done recently was um, East Meets Watts, which is a kung fu exploitation movie mm. so you know any kind of genre movie that's you know that's bad and that we can afford is kind of is kind of where we're at
1: all right and i think uh what about what about cartoon dump real quick oh yes yes
2: um well cartoon dump um we're uh we originally made uh six podcast episodes of that which we did like two years ago but that's another thing too where that's mainly been a live show that we do once a month the last tuesday of every month uh in los angeles at the steve allen theater we've also taken it on the road a couple of times we did it at the san francisco um sketch festival last year we did it in new york and um and now we're kind of in the process of um we're talking to some people about doing making a doing a tv pilot of it and hopefully having it you know we think it would be a good show for like adult swim or hmm. or or comedy central so or or who knows what else, so we're kind of talking to people about that right now
0: all right well i think uh let's we get into moving to the topic uh
2: and uh it's actually i
0: i i didn't know this beforehand it's actually fortuitous that you were the guy that uh kind of decided what uh what movies uh <laughs>
2: that that uh, you would
0: Criticize seems like a too strong a well, word.
2: Did, you know, I think riff riff on riff. Okay, all right, good. phrase for it wasn't
0: really any analysis going on. Now that I think <laughs> about it, um, well,
2: there you know there were elements of that where we <laughs> there'd be commentary on things in the Why are they doing this? You know, why right? Do, yeah, but uh, actually the the um, the format of the show is so stream of consciousness. It it kind of allowed for any kind of joke, any kind of commentary, anything that just seemed appropriate to say was fit in, you mm-hmm.
0: know. Um so ha- okay, so you've so you've seen a lot of a lot of movies in general, but specifically you've seen uh I'd say more than the average portion of horrible movies.
2: Well, as I I think I um because we'd have to watch the movie so many times when we wrote it, I mm-hmm. think, you know, um, six times at least, mm-hmm. all the way through, and then um, like now with cinematic Titanic, we like we still have to watch the movies when we're doing them live. And I've I made this comment before that um, that something seemed weird, and that I I realized I think i had seen Manos: The Hands of Fate more than I'd seen Citizen Kane. So, <laughs> you know, so some, something's wrong with that picture. You know.
0: Well, we have we we've had an episode uh, about movies that are. So bad that they're good, which is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, something that people have said before. Movies that, and when David and I lived together, we would have, uh, you know, kind of the, the bad movie night that you, mm-hmm. that you hear about in which you just, we watched, you know, Crossroads and just the laughed Britney at Spears it. Yeah, we watched are... Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. Geely, which mm-hmm. we watched
1: Ge- didn't end up being a lot of fun. Right. See, and that <laughs> yeah. which
0: brings us to to the topic today. Um, because we watched Geely and it's like, oh, well, we'll just make fun of it. It's supposed to be the worst movie mm-hmm. of the year. Let's give it a watch and see see what we think and then as it turned out we we just none of us well, some, it's terrible sometimes movies
2: sometimes movies are really bad because they're just boring you know uh-huh. and that is different than a movie being boring being bad in a fun way you know right. where it, it goes beyond boring and reaches some kind of transcendental level <laughs> yeah. where you know like ed woods, wood's movies are where mm-hmm. Um, something is is going on. Um, you're seeing, you're getting a glimpse into the filmmaker um, in 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 a very provocative way, you know, and and that really adds to the enjoyment of uh, of those. And and you know, and the thing for me about enjoyable bad movies is is I don't even like to talk about them about how awful they are. I mean, they are bad, but. Um, they are, you know, I have great affection for them, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, Ed Wood is a filmmaker who I, I, th- I like him as a filmmaker better than Michael Bay. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he, he, there's, when I watch an Ed Wood movie, I'm seeing a part of a person's soul um, being expressed in a very mm-hmm. weird Trans, transgressive way you know and and it's and there's something very um fun about that and and something kind of beautiful about it you know hmm. whereas you don't from a lot of these big hollywood movies that are so technically well made and so technically put together you know um you you just they're just you just don't get any of that joy from the bad ones i don't think they need you do from certain kind of other bad movies
0: hmm. Yeah, I, I I will say that uh, Gili was not boring because there's nothing boring about questioning your life and how it brought you to the point of watching this film. It's just <laughs> it was that it was yeah. that bad. I mean, our uh, we just had nothing to say. We just the only thing we kept saying we weren't trying to be funny. We were just saying like this is this is awful. This is yeah. just really bad.
2: Well, the thing is too is I think that with a lot of um, um, certain Hollywood movies because of the situation surrounding them when they're made and Mm -hmm. the publicity, they get this reputation of being, you know, like I remember in the eighties, people said, Oh, Ishtar is the Mm -hmm. worst movie ever made, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you watch Ishtar, you know, okay, it's not a very good movie, you know, but there's like the people making it are very talented and, and just something went wrong. So yes, it is a bad movie, but it doesn't even come close to being the worst movie ever made. And there's even some things about it that, that are, that are worthwhile. So, yeah. but, but the, 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 there's, but a lot of that, like with, and with Glee when that came out, you know, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were in the midst of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And then they make this big flop movie. So then it kind of gets built up out of proportion. Right. Whereas I've, I've never seen the whole movie. I've seen like bits of it, but my sense of it is just it's just this boring, bad movie that probably without all that publicity, it just would have come and gone and nobody would have said anything about it, you know.
1: It's, I think sometimes this is maybe a bit of a tangent here, but sometimes movies get they get they get put on the shelf by the studio and they get a reputation for being bad movies before they come out. And then when they do right. come out, no one gives them a chance. And sometimes yeah. they end up actually being good. Like I, I like to knock around guys quite a bit. I don't know if anybody oh, saw, I never that. saw that <laughs> or like the. um I mean, this wasn't quite as big, a d- but the uh, the Alamo, the more recent one with the Bob oh, Thornton and okay. stuff, like that—that that is an awesome movie. But it Ooh, sort yeah. of sat around for a while, and it got. Got a bad rep and and didn 't get the attention it deserved so, uh, like I said, a bit of a tangent, but wanted to defend the Alamo <laughs> as it were
0: yeah we keep, i remember the, i guess it was several weeks ago, maybe a couple even a few months ago now that we brought up the Alamo that we both like it, and we said we gotta we gotta bring up that movie more often <laughs> so well well done, David yeah.
2: remember the Alamo, yeah Well, <laughs> watch out um and so
0: I guess the it's kind of a kind of a strange kind of a strange topic today uh one could even venture to say it's a <laughs> it's, a, it's a non-starter i wish i hadn't uh, gone this way with it <laughs> but that's all right we can mm-hmm. do, we can still do this um what are some of the what are some of the worst movies and again you you, you didn't want to necessarily categorize them as bad mm. um but uh i'll use the word bad and worst mm-hmm. uh with with love and affection um what are some of the worst movies that uh you've ever seen and are you can talk about movies that are so bad that you you loved them Mm-hmm. Or movies that were so bad that you just you you can't wrap your mind around it. <laughs> you know? Well, the,
2: I I love the you can't wrap your mind around a category is okay. is because um there's certain movies that yeah, you just don't even understand like the exist why it exists. Um there's a movie um That, um, from the late 60s, that Otto Preminger made called Skidoo. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie, but it's it's very scarce. It is only now, um, recently, Turner Classic Movies showed it. It's barely been released ever, but it's this crazy, um, like attempt to make a hip, um, hippie movie in (laughs) like 1969. And, um, every everything about it is just so wrong that you know it's you, what makes it fun to watch is just how your mouth is agape you know you're like <laughs> uh, you know Jackie Gleason is tripping on acid in this movie i mean this is you know Groucho Marx plays god and Groucho who is my favorite performer of all time uh just about is can- isn't remembering his lines you know he was like near the end of his He's having a hard time and you can see it and they're make and they're having like a really hot sex scene there's a really hot sex scene in it and I use the word hot um, is Jackie Gleason in it No, no. You wish he was in it but uh, it's actually Carol Channing and uh, I think Frankie Avalon so it's just stuff like that where where you just don't know what the th- and this is once again. Everyone involved with this is a really talented person. They've all done great stuff in the past, but, but you're watching it, and, and you're like, "What were people thinking?" And in, a ca- in the case of Skidoo, it's like there's the, just the attempt to be contemporary and be hip can be a really fatal thing to a to a to an artist or you know or a filmmaker to really try to become with it, you know. Can end up in some really unintentionally hilarious results.
0: Yeah, uh, there was a—I uh, I believe you uh, mentioned this on the "So Bad It's Good" or, or you know something like that. Just it, like those uh, after-school specials and, and how uh-huh. they wanted to depict you know gangs and how uh-huh. gangs oh, really, really. <laughs> are And it's just and there was one guy who like bought off a gang or like it was a, like a made a peace offering by baking them a cake
1: yeah or something like that i wish you remember the name of it but it's got um rob stone is that his name from mr belvedere is oh i the, don't recall the older kid and then james the is like the the head of the I, the gang <laughs> that rob stone joins but then the other gang steals rob stone's girlfriend and like kidnaps her they literally, like, kidnapped a person. And <laughs> their solution is to bake them a cake. Wow. And then everyone breaks out in song at the end. <laughs> was,
2: this, was this show sponsored by Sarah Lee, by any chance? <laughs> <friends? laughs>
1: uh. But it's available on the, the – about, like, five years ago, they put out a couple of sort of sets that each had – like, they each had four episodes of the after-school specials, mm-hmm. and some of them really
2: great, and that 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 one's on, uh, on there. It's available on DVD. I'd, I'd check it out. I remember <laughs> the f- – my main memory of after school specials and I was a little old for them when they came out but I just remember what Scott Bayo was in a lot of them is, is what I remember <laughs> yeah
1: I'm trying to think, I know Rob Lowe was in the one where he uh, becomes a father and tries to think he can still be in high school and go to football games and be a father
2: yeah well it's always fun when um, Hollywood when they depict something that maybe you know about, like you, like you maybe know what stoners are really like, uh-huh. and then you see them depicted on <laughs> in, in a TV movie or something, and and it's just, there's hilarious. There's a lot of that, and this is actually, um, like Dragnet, which I actually think is is one of my favorite shows. But in the later Dragnet series, mm-hmm. they had a lot of hippies in them, you know, and there's a lot of great stuff in that of of just stoned out hippies. But these parts are being written by, like, older guys who don't really know anything yeah. about the, that that kind of world, and that, that's always really fun to watch.
0: So I have to assume, having not seen any, I have to assume that the hippies uh, are just saying really broad things about love and drugs and stuff, and I have to assume that Joe Friday just gives him a verbal smackdown. Yeah,
2: he totally, <laughs> he, he really is, uh, uh, there's one episode, I think, where this, woman leaves her baby out in the garbage can or something and he's his last line he always had like the last word and his last line is uh you ain't you ain't gonna win any mother of the year awards honey or something like uh-huh. that you know but what's what's really interesting for me about about uh dragnet too is that uh um it, especially the late '60s version of this. There was an early '50s version of the series, which was which was really good. Which was kind of um, um, a very innovative uh, for its time. Look at poli- look at policemen and stuff, and had some really good episodes. and the, And the late '60s one had some really good episodes too. But there's this real disdain on the part of Jack Webb, who was the producer, director, and the star of the mm-hmm. show. This real disdain towards. The hippies and the youth culture, and what's so interesting about watching that now, forty years later, is that no one would do that now because the 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 hip youth culture is where all the advertising dollars are, yeah, and nobody would be so would so blatantly insult. Uh, the kids these days, as they said back then, yeah. now the way they would back then, because in a way, popular culture as as it con- became a, a big consumer culture and thus kind of won that battle mm-hmm. ultimately. Oh, go, <laughs> ah, go ahead. Oh,
0: all right.
1: Um, so. All right. So. I'm just wondering if there are any. Uh, what I, I want to move on to your next example. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like so there's. Yeah, there's Skidoo, which mm. sounds like quite possibly the strangest film ever made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh is that is that one that you would recommend people watch and laugh at, or is it just as you said, just mouths and gape, just no one's got anything to say? Yeah, it's I just think that. I
2: think it's not a movie that I would necessarily want to uh riff on cinematic Titanic or Mr. Mm-hmm. Science Theater because some movies to me really stand on their own, you know, mm-hmm. and and um and and that's one of and plus, yeah, and plus, you know, there's certain tonality to movies that make them better for riffing than other movies um but yeah, that's one that I think people would watch now, and uh, and and I, I saw it at the Egyptian Theater like a couple years ago with a full audience, and everybody just roared, and everybody just loved it, you know. Mm. is that I mean? It's it's Otto Preminger. It's not, yeah, Otto Preminger. Yeah. So it's it's a good filmmaker. Well, yeah, he. I mean, he made he made some really good movies. Yeah. So, but he's like like I said, he's trying to be cool. He's trying to be hip, and he's and he's stumbling all over himself doing it, you know. Yeah. And he's also uh, Otto Preminger. I'll also add played Mr. Freeze on the old Batman series yeah. back mm-hmm, then. Right. And the cast of Skidoo, someone else, I think, pointing this out, it looks like it was cast by the same person who cast Batman. <laughs> it's like all the people, all of the, like, kind of uh, cele- celebrities that that were kind of on Batman are, 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 are in Skidoo, too.
1: Um, the movie that I actually actually, I'm, uh, I, I had forgotten for a second, but I wanted to talk about, um, you talk about movies that are like Ed Wood that are, Technically awful, but right. really show you something about the filmmaker. Um did you ever see and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh movie buffs are gonna hate me, but um did you ever see the world's greatest sinner? Have you ever The ever World's see, Greatest Sinner? No, yeah. I don't think I've heard of that. It's the guy uh who's the creepy guy from uh The Killing, the um the Stanley Kubrick
2: movie. Oh, Timothy Carey? Timothy Carey, yes. He Ooh. wrote and directed and stars oh, in this movie wow. called. The World. I think someone might have told me about that once and and that makes me really want to see it too knowing it's, that i
1: i saw it, the silent movie theater showed it maybe a year year and a half ago and i saw it there and uh th- it's a story of a guy who um quits his job and abandons his family to start a cult mm-hmm. where he tells people that that they don't need god and each person can be their own god right and it's uh it's insane and it's terribly made it just like it there's no like from, from shot to shot or from scene to scene, there's no breathing room. Like as soon as the person is done speaking the line, Ooh. it cuts to the next scene. Like right. it, it's really <laughs> stultifying and weird to watch, but it's such it's such an amazingly bizarre movie. Wow. It's, well, you
2: know that reminds me of something that 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 I've thought about. You know, watching all these bad movies and the difference between older bad movies and modern bad movies, and why the older ones are more fun to me at least mm-hmm. is because I think that. Um, people now, even the bad filmmakers, it seems like, and you guys can maybe give me examples that would correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I think a lot of, even the really bad filmmakers now, are technically proficient, you know? Mm. Like, it seems like people have a kind of basic film literacy now in terms of cutting stuff together that, like a lot of the movies we did in our Mystery Science Theater like for instance the brain that wouldn't die where you know there's a wide shot of the guy and then they cut to a close up of him and it and it doesn't match at all it's obviously <laughs> not in the same room but it's, it's supposed to be a close up of the guy and uh and stuff and stuff like that is so entertaining you know and 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 uh you know I don't think I see a lot of that anymore I, I, you know they used to people older Old school filmmakers used to say that film schools were ruining movies because kids were coming out of film schools and they didn't know anything about life and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really true in most cases. But I would I would counter and say film schools ruin bad movies <laughs> because it's like everyone now like goes to film school or whatever and they learn kind of the basics of like matching shots and lighting or whatever and yeah. you don't really see, and maybe I'm not seeing enough, you know, but in terms of modern bad movies, I don't see nearly as many. Just poorly lit, um, badly cut—you know—shots that don't match. Yeah. To me, you really—if you really want to um, uh, luxuriate on that kind of stuff, it's—it's it's the older bad, low-budget bad yeah, movies. Yeah, I think do another that.
1: another part of the reason that's that's happened now is because uh, filmmaking has become so a expensive and b almost, uh, I guess, a a more insular world. Like, you have to fight your way in. You know, Mm. in order to have that kind of bad movie now, it would have to be almost outsider art. It would have to be some guy who picked up a camera. Well, the
2: funny thing, too, and, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to point this out, but the B movies of the past are the A movies now. And the kind of movies now that get released every weekend in theaters to big openings are... um, the kind of genre films that in the 60s were were outsider. You know, it was like um, people who were on the fringes of filmmaking were the ones who made horror movies, who made sci-fi movies, um, who made monster movies. Yeah. Um, and that was like, or even films that were just supposed to appeal to youth, you know, motorcycle movies or whatever. Yeah. Um, youth was considered like a niche market, back then whereas now it's all the studios want they want to get the young people that like superhero movies that like horror movies and that's the mainstream audience and now the fr- more f- the independent films now are the kind of uh, more domestic kind of human stories you know yeah. with just just characters going through normal things without flying sources or whatever you know um, it's kind of all switched around in a way which is, is is just kind of interesting
1: yeah i think I think the Fast and the Furious movies are one of the best examples of that because that's just story wise that's like that's an, that's like uh, that's an american yeah american
2: international picture yeah from, from yeah. the sixties and now it's it's you know it's 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 on the top of a movie like that is on the top of the list of the movie the studios would want to make, whereas in the sixties this you know AIP would would do that, or, or Hammer in England would mm-hmm. do like the horror movies, and they'd have like, um, you know, a certain kind of release, but it wasn't like the main opening of of that weekend or whatever.
0: I uh, I was having a discussion with some friends of mine uh, actually just like a week ago, and we were talking about the idea of B movies and that mm-hmm. there are no B movies anymore in the sen- you know in the traditional sense, and. And then uh, I had a thought that uh, that I would say actually applies also to the idea of movies with where even the style is just meh, just not very good, and uh, to find that it's still out there, but you can't look in theaters. You have to look on DVD because there are plenty of movies that are straight to DVD. There's not a I, lot of I believe
1: direct to market. Direct is, to market, yes, <laughs> is the industry term.
0: I tried, I used that term before, David, and you got mad at me and you (laughs) made fun of me because I, because, yeah, that's right. When I worked at Blockbuster on my break, I would read home retail uh, video (laughs) magazine. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, yeah, okay, so direct to market movies because, you know, their budgets are never very big. Then they're always basically counting on, uh, it's like, all right, well, we'll just, we'll knock this out fast, Mm -hmm. throw it on shelves, Mm -hmm. and, the sheer number I will I will talk about my uh, experience working at Blockbuster is that I was I was fascinated how many people would just and, and I, I don't I don't mean to make it sound like I was like I'm you know like smarter or that I that I look down on them but just. Just the number of people who don't follow movies the way I do—they'll mm-hmm. um, just walk through and they will just grab anything that just looks that catches their eye. That the looks toolbox murders. The toolbox murders is a great <laughs> example, David. Thank you. I used
1: to work at a video store too. Yeah, there
0: you yeah. go. Toolbox murders is the perfect example, David.
1: <laughs> because so, yeah, never. There's no. Press behind it never came out in theaters, but it's got.
2: No, you mean the, there's a more recent Toolbox Murders, right? Because the Toolbox Murders was. There was one made in the early 80s, right?
1: No, we're talking about a, a direct-to-market direct to one that came yeah. out probably. Uh, I was still in Chicago. It was probably about 2003. But who directed it? I don't know. Is it someone? I think it was. Oh, okay. I think
0: it was. Uh, it was still direct-to-market, but right. I think it was. Um, Hooper. Uh, Toby Hooper? Toby, Toby oh. Hooper. Oh, okay. Who doesn't really work in mainstream film that much anyway, mm-hmm. uh, anymore. But, uh, but you'll, you'll run across, I remember uh, a movie, when I worked at a very large blockbuster in Chicago, uh, there we would always get a bunch of direct-to-market movies, and, there would, and the most we would get of any one title would be like maybe 10. And there was one called Decoys. Mm-hmm. It flew off the shelf. I have no idea why. I mean, it looked, you know, I, there was nobody of note in it, and but that's the thing is, to me, I just, I knew that, oh, well, it's straight to video, so right there, it's probably 90% chance that it's bad. Um, nobody of note directed it, it's probably really bad, and, uh, you know, and if you look at the back, you're like, oh, okay, well, this, this is clearly a terribly designed set, and uh, that sort of thing. And even in the actors, expressions on the pictures in the back <laughs> are terrible, mm-hmm. but... People would people would just rent it because one was as good as the other. To people who really didn't weren't paying that if much, they the, were
2: looking for a certain kind of movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think the companies that make the direct to market DVDs now I'm using the term seriously as opposed yeah. to making money using it, mm-hmm. but um, uh, they're good at like seeing ahead to okay, what's coming out in the main theaters this oh, yeah. weekend? You know, the it's coming out in first run theaters. Let's try and design the cover art to to bring that up in people's minds. Right, so they've right. been seeing you know commercials for you know zodiac or whatever Mm -hmm. uh for two weeks and then they so they they show up at the video store and here's something that kind of looks like the zodiac well
0: and it will actually there was a guy whose name i wish i could pull right now but i can't who I, i actually view as as immoral in his practices because when the black dahlia came out well black dahlia that's not a title that you can trademark or anything like that so he he when when the Black Dahlia the De Palma film Mm -hmm. came out in theaters same week a movie called Black Dahlia no the was released on DVD and then when Zodiac came out the Zodiac killer was released (laughs) directed by the same guy
2: the thing that's really outrageous too is that the um, the the guy who committed the Black Dahlia murder doesn't get a dime of that (laughs) movie Uh, and so
0: it just so that guy bothered me because it's just like you're not even your your whole career is based on tricking people right. into thinking you're you're this. Right. You're not even trying to de- you probably aren't even trying to deliver any kind of quality product. It was it's just about well,
2: that. You know, I mean, that kind of is a traditional, uh, you know, B movie method. And I, I think Roger Corman did that all the mm. time where he whatever was popular, you know, he'd put out. Um, you know, when Star Wars was popular, he put out um, Battle Beyond the Stars. You know, he mm-hmm. he put out any number of movies, maybe not as crash as crassly as this yeah. guy that you're talking about. But that's kind of the nature of exploitation filmmaking is to exploit, you know, whatever <laughs> is popular. And I, I mean, s- people do it now uh, very egregiously, I think, on, you know, on television where – a reality show or something is a big hit, and then suddenly there's like eighteen ripoffs yeah. of it. Farmer you know. wants a wife, right? Right, <laughs> and, and and you know now it's to the point it's so absurd now that you can't even joke about it almost because they're jokes themselves. You know, yeah. it's like stuff that you would have joked about. You know, well now they're going to do this, and then they end up doing it. You know, so it's it's. It, I think that's. In the history of show business, I think that's always been. There's always been people who just wait and see what's popular, and then immediately pounce on it and, and exploit it. And I haven't done a lot of that because I haven't had the opportunity to. But I'd <laughs> like to. <laughs> I had a
0: friend who uh, invited me to a screening of a film that he was in, um, and uh, it wasn't. It they were looking for like distribution, and so they they had a screening at the uh, on the Sony lot on the Sony lot, I think. And so it was really exciting I got, to, I got to go in and there was the director I, I know nobody I recognized but uh and it was a film that uh I I watched it and it, it had a very small budget and cl- and it's it's ev- it's everything that you're talking about mm. I mean it it was shot it was shot on on digital not that that necessarily is a bad thing but mm. there's good digital and bad digital mm. and this looked like bad digital and and it was stuff like the effects were were really bad. Like the like a character gets shot, and you can there's no que- there's there, there's no mistaking that the even the sound of the gun firing was put in later because right, you just right. see like the guy. I, I don't even know if the trigger worked because the only thing showing the f- gun firing was the guy moving his hand mm-hmm. and the the replicating the the recoil, and then you know the audio is like oh okay well clear it's like oh he okay this is the audio from the scene itself. Oh, okay, he recorded this probably months later, I have <laughs> to assume. And uh, and it was, you know, because the cast and crew were there, uh, uh, I couldn't laugh as freely as I probably would have, and because my friend was in it, and he was actually doing really good work, and everybody was really <laughs> trying hard, and so you kind of, I felt bad about it, but I almost, I I felt like, oh, well, this, first off, there's no question that if it gets any distribution, it'll be straight to DVD. Right. Um, But also, I, I got the weird, I got this weird vibe of just it was a it was a bad movie, mm-hmm. but I had a great deal of affection for it because I knew that everyone in it was was trying really hard. Right. I mean, you brought up Michael Bay. David and David has made this point before that Michael Bay is more frustrating, or maybe not Bay because I think he's a true believer, but like some some filmmakers are just cynical about they, they get they've got the budget they may they that they want. And they'll just make a movie, and they know that people will see it. They're they're not really trying hard. They just put a lot of money into effects, and they know that people will right. come out yeah, and Ro- see it. Yeah, Roland
1: happens. Emmerich is my standard example That's of that. That's right, yeah. Uh, that guy,
2: he's the, he's the like, um, Independence Day guy. Independence yeah. Day. He's yeah. got 2012 coming out. he right, did Godzilla
1: and uh, uh, The Patriot. And oh, man. Just Day After Tomorrow. Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, he's a guy like... You know, we talked about Geely earlier, and I, I'm sure I've made this point on the show before because I do often. But uh, Geely is... It's terrible, but it's almost it's sort of respectable because you can feel that Martin Brest is trying to make a film. you know he's well, trying, he wasn't to, say trying
2: something. to you know I, he wasn't trying to make a bad movie and he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's made good movies in the past, so yeah, it's like, exactly. I think that's partly is I think it's just the nature of the mysterious nature of creativity, yeah, is such that and I think that any filmmaker, any writer, any musician, that you can think of um, that's done work that you're really passionate about and that means a lot to you has probably also done work that you didn't think was very good. Yeah, sure. You know, and I think that that is just you know cre- creativity is a very mysterious thing. And and anytime you set out to write something or to make something. Um, it's it's just hard to fathom, you know, whether something is going to turn out good or there, there's no like um, secret formula that you can use to, to yeah. make everything you do turn out great. You know, some people everything they do is pretty bad because they're cynical, like you said, or they don't have much talent in the first place. Some people are really talented, and then for whatever reason, they put out stuff that it just doesn't work, and 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 and, and you can't even. Um, Crystallize, you know what went wrong. Yeah. A lot of times, it's, and that, it's, that's
1: why I'm saying that that Geely is is respectable in its badness, whereas whereas Godzilla, I, you just get the feeling that Roland Emmerich is yeah, perfectly that, happy with know, the way that, that movie turned funny. out. Uh,
2: you mentioned Godzilla too, because I, uh, the first time I s- I didn't see the whole thing, and we did like a couple Godzilla movies on Mystery Science Theater, like right. in the early years, and I remember it came out and everybody was saying how bad it was. The, the ninety eight. Yeah, the one that he that Roland yeah. Emmerich made, and uh, I remember I was on my way out one night, and it was on HBO, and I watched part of it. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, and it was it was Godzilla like was was going through New York and destroying buildings and stuff, and just watching the one scene, I remember thinking, well, come on, this is like, you know, if you watch a Godzilla movie. Uh, you know, the thing that you watch a Godzilla movie for is to see Godzilla destroying a city and, and these scenes of him destroying the city are actually seem very well done. So I don't know why people are so hard on it. But then, like months later, whatever, I actually watched the whole movie uh-huh. and then I got kind of mad. At, you know, then I was kind of pissed off about it because I saw the cynicism of it where how, you know, just how many cliches are, are they mm-hmm. lay on and also just you know, when you talk about exploiting what's popular, you know, mm-hmm. they just decide, uh, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, okay, it's a Godzilla, but now they're going to go into Madison Square Garden, and now it's going to be Jurassic Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, now, because that's a big popular movie, so now there's going to be a whole scene where these little Godzillas, I don't even yeah. remember what they were if they they're were little Godzilla- Godzillas that were
0: basically velociraptors.
2: Yeah, yeah. are going to come out, and just like in Jurassic Park, they're going to come out and chase people around this enclosed area. And, um, and then, then I, you know, it was, but, but my, I guess my point is, is when you see just part of something and you see kind of technically how well done something is, you think, well, okay, come on, it's Godzilla. What, What do you want? He's destroying the city, you know, big deal. But, when you put it in the context of everything that all the decisions that go into the making of a movie like that, and and it it, it can get you pissed off. It, it's it, you you are like, hey, wait a minute, come on, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. to put something over on me, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what,
1: were there, Were there any uh, other favorite bad movies you wanted to to get to
2: in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the other one, uh, I, um, the the bad movie that I always tell when people ask me what my favorite bad movie is um um is a, another kind of obscure movie from the 60s called the oscar which i don't know if you guys have seen no but uh it stars stephen boyd and I, I did a blog about it because um it's another one of those rare movies for some reason it's never on tv it's never been released but it was a big budget movie in its day and um harlan ellison was one of the screenwriters on it oh. And there was a recent documentary about Harlan Ellison that I saw, where he talked about it and said that when he knew that his screen, his movie writing career was over, when the movie came out. But uh, uh, but this is a movie about the you know the the rise to uh, of a, of a ruthless actor played by Stephen Boyd who just rises through the ranks and steps on everyone he meets uh, to become a big star and eventually near the end of the movie gets nominated for an Oscar. And um, that to me um, has always been... Uh, uh, you know, I saw it when it was on first on TV when I was a little kid and like even when I was... Uh, I guess I was probably 11 when I saw it and was just laughing hysterically at how bad I was. And I guess <laughs> that's why it's my favorite. And I think... Other people are probably like that too with movies that are their favorite bad movies because you saw it at a certain time and it mm. kind of forms your sensibility in a way. And this movie did, I think, have an influence on my sensibility. And um, it just has scene after scene of over-the-top dramatics and really bad dialogue and um, – um, good actors giving bad performances, you know. Yeah. Um I except uh, Tony Bennett, it's his one and only um film role. And he, <laughs> he really gives it his all. But He
1: he and uh, he and Harlan Ellison both retired from Yeah, playing. exactly.
2: Exactly. Um but uh, it just has to be seen and believed and hopefully it's for years it just you could never see it anywhere and, and Turner Classic movie has shown it twice in the last year. So hmm. hopefully it'll be available for people to see. But I've always described that as the Citizen Kane of bad movies, at least for me. I think everybody has a different one. Well, I'll tell you, before
1: we end this episode, I yeah. can't not mention my favorite bad movie uh, of all time, which is a Dutch horror film uh, <laughs> called The Lift. The Lift? Which it, it's Yeah, it's The Lift. It's about um, uh, an elevator that's oh, demonically I have, possessed. I might have heard and about And it kills that. people. And... Uh, I will not really go into the specifics of the movie, but I can sum it up by the tagline on the cover of the box, which, honestly, God, word for word, the tagline on the cover of the box says, take the stairs, take the stairs, for God's sake, take the stairs. That's
2: great. <laughs> that sounds great. Are you familiar with the movie Deathbed? <laughs> I've heard of it because yeah, uh, Patton Oswalt has a yeah, bit about Yeah, Patton Oswalt is, is the reason I know about it, but that sounds like a similar kind of thing where someone came up with, like, a specific object to turn into a yeah. horror movie.
0: Well, I loved, I, I liked growing up in the 80s and going to video stores because I would walk, I, like, as a young child, I'd be afraid to even walk down the horror aisle because even the art was frightening. <laughs> like, do you remember, because they would, I, they don't really do it anymore, but they would, like, draw uh, the oh, cover, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I remember the cover for The stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know. Which
0: was really oh man it was, it was like oh really terrifying and creepy and then they drew the cover for uh, scanners with Michael Ironside oh, right. about to explode
1: yeah. I think um, the gate also has a drawn oh account, yes the gate yeah which that's an awesome movie by the way I never seen I it. did not get to do you ever see it with a young Stephen Dorff no uh, it's a like a, it's sort of I guess I'm not sure what year it came out I'm sure it's kind of inspired by Poltergeist because it's about kids and right. and uh, and and it's a horror movie but I, I'm sad that I didn't ever rent it when I was young, because I didn't end up seeing well, it until maybe two years of, ago. It's um, awesome.
2: David Cronenberg and Scanners, mm-hmm. just last night on TV I saw um, Eastern Promises, which is an excellent movie.
1: One of my favorite movies of the, of the yeah. decade, I would say. Did you? That's right, yeah. we.
0: I, I really like the movie, but I have certain structural problems with it that uh, I've talked about. Well, we'll well, talk I, about just, it later I just happened to
2: see it last night, oh, okay. so that's
0: why I brought it up. Um, yeah, Cronenberg's an interesting guy, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the oh
2: shoot? What's it called? Shivers. Uh-huh. Did you ever see Shivers? Was that like his first movie? Maybe one of his really early ones.
1: It, it was it w- f- first or second. I yeah, think. it yeah. was
2: one of the like one of Ooh. his first two,
0: and uh, it's basically all about these slugs of sorts that yeah. uh, are on the loose in like an apartment building, and they will crawl into somebody and then make them obsessed with sex. Wow. Yeah, I'd say it's about right for David Cronenberg. <laughs> that's that, that's kind of what what he's about, but. Uh, Yeah, I feel I feel bad that uh, what with all the terrible horror movies that I grew up watching and loving as a kid and secretly terrified, um, probably my favorite really bad movie was one uh, first uh, I was first introduced to by David. And it's recent and it's uh, called Alone in the Dark.
2: And is that the remake of Alone in the Dark? Cause, uh, I think the the one that was recently made is a remake of one from the seventies. I think. No,
1: it's actually based on a video game.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's
1: yeah, we haven't really talked. It's Uva uh, Boll who directed it, and that's yeah. the guy who's he's been referred to as like the modern day Ed Wood. Because yeah, he makes he's. Really I, I don't think
2: movies. I'm that familiar with him, but I've heard a lot about um, about that he's really bad. But, and the fact he's, that he's in on the joke, I don't care for that. Yeah, like he is it. in. On well, the that's joke, that's what makes. Um, as far as doing a movie on mystery science theater or cinematic Titanic, um, the key ingredient uh, is love. No, it's um, <laughs> for for a movie to be riffable is is there has to be sincerity on the part of mm-hmm. the filmmaker. In other words, the filmmaker is really sincerely is behind what they're doing and really mean it, and that's what that's what leads to great bad movie entertainment. But if the filmmaker is in on the joke. Then, as just as a movie to riff on, it, it really doesn't work that well.
1: Yeah, but you know what? With, with Uva Ball, I don't know if I would use exactly the term "in on the joke." He's he's aware. He's joined of it, in the joke, and recently. he like in 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 Postal, which is one of the most audacious and offensive movies I've ever seen, but uh, weirdly compelling, and I would watch it again. <laughs> but in in Postal, he comments on it. You know, he plays mm-hmm. himself in the movie at one point. Uh, and he, he plays up the joke that he's a bad filmmaker, but I don't know, you have to see it to understand what I'm getting at. He's not, you know, the joke, he's not trying to make a bad movie. Right. He's no, just, I, a, it, a, it's just sort of a meta thing where he's aware that people think his movie's right. bad already.
0: Yeah, as far as, as far as, uh, like the movies that he's made in the last, like, eight or nine years, they're all bad, and they're all fairly sincerely bad, and then as, as he got this reputation as the maker of bad movies based on video games, um... He started to comment on it and and would, you know, he challenged critics to a boxing match and just and and yeah, it, but he all that was that outside
1: had... of, until Postal. That was all outside of the movies, which is why I right. still think that like a movie like Alone in the Dark or or House of the Dead or Blood Rain might still qualify. Yeah, because, I think because he's still I think he's still a guy who loves making movies. Yeah, and loves video games and wants to make movies of video games, and I don't think he's trying to make jokey bad movies. I don't. I don't think so.
0: I. I. I got no winking in Alone in the Dark. I just got. Uh, hey, man, look at this awesome movie we're making, and it's horrible. Have you ever seen it? No. no. Oh, you've got to see it. It's it's, it's. it's.
2: It's funny as I get older. Like my patience for, for watching stuff mm-hmm. that I know is going to be bad. Like it. It. Wait. It, 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 I have less energy for that. The older I get, you know.
0: I. Uh, yeah. My. My friends would say y- years ago. My friends would be like Hey come and see this movie with us And I'd be like Ah it doesn't look very good to me They're like Oh come on It's fun And I'd be like Yeah alright So I'd go Mostly for for social reasons And because it, right. But now I, I think I'd probably turn it down I'd probably just say like You know It's nothing personal But I, Can't I can hang out with you and we can go have dinner or
1: something like that. Right, or yeah. how about this? We could see a good movie. Yeah. They're yeah. out there. Well, bad movies aren't fun to watch in a theater because yeah. you don't know that everyone, it could be someone yeah, enjoying the movie. It's,
2: yeah. Uh, it's it's rude to yell out comments <laughs> in a movie theater, even if it's a bad movie. Because like you said, someone else, they other people pay their money uh-huh. um, and- uh, you know but you know just to, to socialize it with people at home and watch stuff on dvd and that's that's a really fun way to watch a uh, bad movie i remember i had um i had a bunch of people over at my house and i remember this is when i first moved to la and trace was there too and i had just bought um valley of the dolls the original mm. on um laserdisc uh-huh. and we all and we just had such a great time you know just Screaming stuff out
1: I love Valley of the Dolls And I love Beyond the Valley of the Dolls Not that they have anything to do with one another Well
2: the the thing is Is Valley of the Dolls Is is a genuinely awful movie Uh That's so bad That you can make fun of it Beyond the Valley of the Dolls I don't know if I'm prepared to say That it's a bad movie Because I I think it's so Incredibly well made by Russ Meyer Mm -hmm. And it's so Entertaining You know Um that even though like it's very exploitive and the actors are like they're not great actors they're just kind of chosen because they look like they could be in porn movies or something <laughs> but it's such an incredibly entertaining movie that yeah that i, I don't consider it a bad movie yeah that's you know? what i'm glad i got to see in the theater i said yeah i saw that in the theater as, as well and the, the and i really like the songs in beyond the valley of the dolls mm-hmm. too But Valley of the Dolls is a classic example of just a movie that's so bad you can make fun of it. But it's funny, all the movies we did on Mystery Science Theater and now Cinematic Titanic – that are all mostly so slow paced and so um lethargic in the way they're edited russ meyer is the opposite of that russ meyer's edits his scenes the editing in russ meyer's movies is dazzling you know Mm -hmm. it's it's like a whole he's like a whole other category unto himself Hmm. well
1: we gotta uh, i actually have somewhere to be (laughs) oh okay (laughs) if we we
2: been going for about an hour and 10 minutes so this has been this has been a
1: yeah Flew by because this has yeah. been a lot of fun. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, absolutely. I hope you agree, Frank. But, <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> don't speak for the guests. It's been great for us. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a really fun episode. We hope to have you have you back sometime.
2: Yeah, yeah. sure. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, CinematicTitanic.com. Right, and we're going to be in uh, Chicago at the Lakeshore Theater huh. in two weeks, and all the information is on CinematicTitanic.com. We're going to be at um, in St Louis in uh but november uh um, what what venue i'm from oh, the, F- the family arena oh okay which is i believe outside of yes town. and and then there's a, t- there. there's a couple of other things we're doing in, in the fall that i can't officially announce yet okay. but will be announced very soon
0: you know that's perfectly fine because this episode may not be going up right away it
1: may go up in uh, september
2: Okay, yeah, a couple weeks. So um, Okay, well, uh, if, if that's the case, I hope you enjoy it, us in Chicago. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Why um, was
1: the Lakeshore Theater not the awesome comedy nerd mecca it is now when, when we lived, lived there? <laughs> I don't know. It's,
0: it's yeah, very it's bothersome. A great,
2: it's a great theater. Um, well, um, anyway, then, okay.
0: Cartoon uh, Dump, is you know, there a Cartoon, website for Cartoon, Cartoon Dump? Dump?
2: Uh, you can go to cartoondump.com or Cartoon Brew, which is Jerry Beck's website, and uh, and also the steveallentheater.com and... Um, uh, hopefully, we'll have some big announcements about that coming up pretty soon, too, okay, as great. well.
1: Uh, so, as far as us, you can find us at com or email us at David at com or Tyler at com. <laughs> and, of course, as always, as I've mentioned ad nauseum, you can follow me on Twitter at the Pretension. All right. Okay. So, uh,
0: thanks, Frank, for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, cool. Frank's fun. on Twitter, too.
2: Oh, yeah. So. I'm on Twitter. Yeah, at, uh, at Frank I underscore. I believe it's Frank Conniff. Frank Conniff. Okay. <laughs> and I'm on Facebook. And I and and MySpace, so I'm I'm very connected. People, <laughs> just well, just type it in and you'll get them. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, follow Frank on Twitter and, and please follow me. <laughs> yeah. all right. So thanks for
0: listening. We'll get you next time. Bye bye
1: bye bye.